Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. Welcome to another episode of the Insider Outsider podcast. This week, we have three fantastic consultants from WMFDP. And they're all with Latino, Hispanic backgrounds. We have Mauricio Baldrin, Amaya Alcon Morris, and Maria Martinez. And this is a variance of ages from late 20s to almost 60. And so we're going to hear a variety of, of you all speaking and sharing. And gosh, you know, there's a lot just in terms of the Latino background and how you see yourselves. There's the there's the how you identify ethnically, how you identify racially, maybe a little bit about your background and where your families come from. So I just want to let you start off self-identifying and how you navigate all that those pieces. And then we'll just kind of weave into an ongoing conversation. So Maria, you want to start? Sure. Thanks, Michael. I love that you mentioned all of the different facets of identity, right? Um, because just as you were saying that, I was thinking about Latinos born in the U.S. and Latinos born outside of the U.S., right? And then um, the differences in that experience. So uh, my name is Maria Martinez. I was born in Mexico and moved to the U.S. when I was around three years old. Grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I identify as a white Latina. Um, still lots of conversations we had around that. But overall, um, you know, thinking a lot around race and identity and culture and how those things tie in together, especially as a young woman, I'm 29 years old and I live in New York. So the intersection of lots of cultures and especially Latino culture, I live in Harlem. Um, so I, I'm really uh, happy to be on this forum and to be able to talk to you all. Um, I'll pass it over to Mauricio Valadrian um, so he can introduce himself too. Gracias, Maria. So Mauricio Valadrian. I am originally from Bogota, Colombia. I've been living in the States for about 22 years now, mostly in Portland, Oregon. Um, I um, the English is my second language. Um, and and how I self-identify. It's 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 a complicated question. I guess the the the, the more common response to that for me is Latino. Um, but um, I've, I've come to understand that there's uh, many layers of complexity as to how people identify me and how I identify myself. Um, I'm a father of four. I have, uh, I live in a mixed race family and um, I think that's a little bit right there. I'm gonna pass it to lovely Amalia. Thank you. So my name is Amalia uh, Alarcón Morris, and I am uh, sort of the elder stateswoman, I guess. I'm almost 60. Um, and I, um, it's interesting because I feel like the U.S. is kind of obsessed with this uh, blanket identification uh, labels. And so for me, being Latin American, I find that connecting to the countries that 
um, my ancestry is from or where I grew up or where I was born is a, a much stronger identifier for me sort of emotionally than this blanket terminology of Latino or Hispanic or whatever that that census counting thing is. So I am uh, Cuban Ecuadorian. I grew up in uh, Puerto Rico um, and then came up into mainland US uh, when I was in uh, high school and went to college in the US as well. Um, and, and also for me, I same as Mauricio, I live in a mixed race family. Uh, my husband is African-American and I, we have two sons. And I feel um, that it has really cemented for me the, the amount of privilege that I walk through the world uh, with. The fact that I live in a mixed race family and I'm a witness to the lives of my, my children and my husband. Um, and then it also strikes me that, that um, the position that I'm in tends to be, am I too white to be a person of color? Am I not white enough to be a white American, right? Um, and so it's, it's this limbo uh, where we live. A lot of times, those of us like me who have white skin and are foreigners, if you will, to the United States in terms of finding where we fit. Yeah. Well, thanks for the those three sort of backgrounds, openings, and let's just weave the conversation back and forth. Anything come up as you heard each other that you want to continue on? So, Amalia, we were talking earlier, and um, there's a couple of themes that I'm picking up on, and I'm curious to know if you would be willing to expand on them a little bit. Um, you know, I'm hearing, I'm, I hear you say a lot about ties to the past and um, the ways in which the government sees you and the ways in which um, I guess you're officially counted. And it actually makes me wonder um, if a part of the shift in culture, so we think about generations, Gen Z and millennials, this is a generation that's been brought up to intrinsically challenge power structures, right? Especially authoritative and restrictive structures. So I wonder, as like our identities kind of differ and, you know, folks who are listening might not be able to see Amalia and I, but we actually look very similar in terms of our skin tone um, and we have soft, beautiful features. Um, <laughs> you know, our identities differ so much. And, and I think that just adds this layer of complexity when we talk about um, generational shifts and time shifts and the way in which people now um, value their identity. Not that it's bad. I think it's just different. And it kind of releases us from some of those ties. Comes along with a whole new set of problems, right? But overall, I wonder if that's just, it's just something that's resonating with me. What do you hear from that? What do you pick out from that? I'm curious. Well, I, you know, and I'm not sure, I just correct me if I'm sort of going off in a different direction here, but I feel for me as, again, as a woman who is almost, I mean, I'm five minutes from turning 60. And just looking back over my life, I feel like my identity as someone other than white American is, is part of, has been a lifeline, part of a lifeline for me. It has been a way to find my place in a world where there is this limbo, as I said earlier, this weird 
too too white, not white enough, uh, or too brown, not brown enough um, dichotomy that you're always wrestling with. And so, um, so there was, for me growing up, I, I definitely came up in the generation where it was like, you have to be careful and not speak too much Spanish. You have to be careful and learn English well. You can't, you have to assimilate. You can't acculturate because you have to fit in. It's the melting pot and you have to blend. And so I know that it was one of my mother's biggest pushes for me to make sure that I did not speak English with an accent because that would be a dead giveaway, right? If I spoke English then people with an accent, then people would know, oh, I was a foreigner, I didn't belong, I was an outsider. And so uh, for my own success potential and survival, she was, she really pushed this idea. And so the interesting thing was that I was only child, single mom, she passed away when I was in college. Um, and I spoke Spanish at home. You know, it was my first language. I spoke it at home every day. She passed away. And within like five years of her passing away, I realized I was losing my ability to speak Spanish fluently. Mm. And it terrified me. I thought, oh, my God, this country has sort of sucked the me out of me with just five, in just five years time. Right. 20 years of living with someone and and having that culture flow through you. And then five years later, it's almost, it's going, you can feel it going. And I, I had to intentionally find ways to reconnect myself to my community so that I could reclaim what was being lost because it happened so fast, because it's so easy. It was so easy for me as a woman with white skin, speaking English without an accent, having had a formal college education that my mother never had, blending into this larger world, chasing the American dream, losing what I was to become this story or this image that was fed to my mother and that she chased on my behalf, you know? So I don't know if that answers your question, but for me, identity has so much emotional connection because of all of those things that I experienced. And so I did not come into a space of taking back power and uh, fighting these structures that would tear down however I chose to self-actualize until later engaging with people like you and other younger people were like, oh, you mean you could do this differently than my mother thought, than I was taught, than I experienced, right? So, yeah. So, so, so I, I, I come with an interesting, so I come from a homogeneous um, culture in which the necessity to specify your ethnicity and race was not really there. Mm to one, in the heterogeneous society in which this whole idea of like, so what are you? And, I, and it made me think about the very exercise of identifying yourself and all the things that come up for me. Because this, this, this whole idea of identity really means to me like, so identify yourself, almost like a classification. Like, I want to see you in a way that I can process, that I can understand, which in itself, the exercise is, is sort of like, it takes away the complexity of who I am. It's mm-hmm. it's a way of being understood for other people. It's not really for me. Right. So that that whole exercise in itself mm-hmm. feels um, 
oversimplifying all the things that I am. Um, and, and, and it's interesting for me because I've lived in both worlds, right? But when I was in Colombia, well, I'm just Colombian. So when I say like, so what's your identity? Like, well, this is my last name. This is where I was born. This is where I go to school. Uh, but when I'm here, depending on who is my audience, I need to think about what is my relevance in this group? What is the kind of thing that this person or this group wants to know about me? And then I have to start dissecting all the things that I feel are relevant to them, which in itself is somewhat demoralizing, you know? Then I would imagine there's some folks, probably white folks, that would say, well, are you American? And or, or, would you identify as that? And you, you identified earlier as Latino. Is that part of the context you're saying? You look at the relevance? Kind of, yeah. So no, when I, so in a, in a room in which I'm working in the capacity of, let's say, my background is, is, is television production and uh, film. So it's like, what is the kind of thing that this group would need to know about me in the context of this conversation? Probably years of experience in my my job. You know, you know what kind of value do I bring to them as a storyteller who's also bilingual? Uh, you know, and so and so I have to basically come up with a marketing strategy for me on the fly so that I bring value to the way that I'm being perceived, mm-hmm. which is just kind of an interesting <laughs> exercise altogether. Though going back to you were saying that you do I like for instance do I identify as an American? Even in Colombia. Being part of South America, when you hear American, you hear United States. And it's in it, 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 and these are the kind of like under the the uh, you know under the surface questions that I never even had the opportunity to ask until I started having to think deeply of what does it even mean to be what does it even mean to be me and what is it about me that I should be looking uh, further into to see how I how I come up into the world, the kind of thing that that I can bring to my children. Uh, um, I mean, it's it's it it definitely gets complicated. Yeah. Thanks. And I love that idea of. Um, I mean, I think it's Jane Elliott that has been recently talking about, or for a while now, about America and how it's been co-opted as a way to refer to the United States and Mauricio, it's true. You know, when people say Americano, it's about uh, being a person from the United States. Um, and and that's one of my biggest pet peeves right now uh, in my life. I It just annoys that, it annoys me so much to hear people refer to themselves as Americans from America. It's like you're from the United States and you can say that you're an American because it is part of North America, just like I live in Central America. But North America even is not just you. It's Canada. It's Mexico. That's all North America, all of it. So um, just this appropriation of that term uh, makes me itchy when when people ask me the question that you just asked, Michael, do you consider yourself an American? I also feel like there's there's a history there that's fraught. So if you... If you um, identify with a country that um, has in its history and, and present day not embraced you, mm-hmm. uh, then it's it's hard to see that as a positive. It's hard to be proud of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm from the United States or I'm, you know, when, yeah. when so much is about go back to where you came from or limit the numbers of people that could come or are you an illegal or all those other things that 
hurt. They, even if they're not directed at me personally, I feel those things personally when I see it on the news, when I overhear people talking and even, even here in Panama, every now and again, I'll run across a couple of people who are from the United States living here and they'll be engaged in a conversation about immigrants in the United States, right? Being immigrants in Panama, they're having a conversation talking trash about immigrants in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is an additional thing that makes it, makes mm-hmm. it difficult. Yeah. It's interesting when, that comes up. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Sorry. No, go ahead, Maria. No, you know, I just, I was just going to say, it's interesting that that comes up and how, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about identity, when we think about classification, right. And I, I wrote something down, um, when Mauricio was talking and when Amalia was talking, and this is just a thought that came up, you know, as identification is classification of our proximity to whiteness because identification started by white colonizers, right? So prior to that, there was, you know, our identity was human. Our identity was my family. Our identity was my, you know, the people that I love around me. It wasn't the color of my skin. It wasn't my nationality. It wasn't my legal status in this country. So it's almost like if we think about this existential crisis that a lot of Latinos, you know, we might not even realize or really understand the depth of the Latino identity because we are, we're so fluid and we come from so many places and it's a lot to unpack sometimes, right? But when we start thinking about that, Um, And it it almost kind of makes me really wonder, you know, how far will we go othering each other? Because first we start with the color of our skin, you know, then we go on to, well, you're, we talk about colorism in our own communities, right? And now we're starting to get into identifying people's character and identifying their humanity and tying it to, like I said, archaic structures of oppression, like a piece of paper that apparently either validates or invalidates your existence. Um, And to pretend like we don't do it to each other and like white folks don't do it to people of color, to pretend like that doesn't mess with our minds and mess with our ability to thrive and thrive abundantly. You know, when we talk about the mental load that comes around with being an outsider, I guess it's just, it makes me want to, release myself of these shackles even more and, and release myself of all of these kinds of, of identifications because I almost feel like I'm propelling whiteness mm. by wanting to identify myself. I know that's like, mm. but right, you can clean this up, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is perfect. I, I, I mean, what you named around identification as proximity to whiteness um, I think it's not often it's not thought of or conscious of amongst a lot of white folks and how that loads you and impacts you. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, too, that whether is um, imposed or self-imposed, there is there is this analogy between identity and worth, mm-hmm. whether it is um, how we see ourselves or how we think other people see us. And that continues that, uh, you know, how we navigate, how we uh, build constructs around who we think people want us to be for the purpose of whatever context we are moving in. That also, I think, carries a, a pretty large weight on this notion of identity. Yeah. 
And I think that one of the interesting side effects of all of this conversation that we're having for me historically in the workplace or out in the world among other people has been the permission that people feel they have to wander or muse or question my own um, self-described identity or to um, talk about all of the things that they hate about people like me because I'm not like the others or I'm one of the good ones or I'm a different one or whatever that is. Um, and the, the impact that that has on morale and on uh, even health, I mean, the amount of stress that it causes when someone decides that they want to question whether you're actually who you say you are because you don't look like what they think you should look like is um, it takes a big toll over time. Um, and, and it's one of those uh, sort of gaslighting, crazy making things where you then after a while end up looking at yourself in the mirror and questioning your own self. Like, wait a minute, I am, right? I am who I say I am, right? And especially for someone like me, like I said, um, only daughter, single mom, and my mom died when I was really young. I don't have a lot of that re the place to connect back to that reminds me of my origins. I, you know, and now I'm nearly 60. So those things kind of tend to evaporate over time and you start to question. So it's really funny that when I, when I did, I decided to do DNA testing and I got my DNA test results back. I just heaved this huge sigh of relief. Like, yes, I am exactly who I say I am. I am who I know I am, but this environment around me makes me question myself and it's, it can be very disconcerting at best and really just uh, surreal at worst. When I think about what you just said, Maya, compare uh, right on the heels of what Mauricio said is the identification being equated to worth. And somehow you feel like you're justifying yourself or you're holding up or you're worth, you're having to prove it or something. It's like, mm. that sounds exhausting. Yeah. It is. it is. And, and you know, as, uh, what you were saying, Amali, also made me think of this. Uh, there is this, this uh, philosopher slash comedian that talked about the human slouch towards narrative as the onion of that, the many onion layers of identity. And he's like, you know, this is the story that you tell yourself about you, the story the world tells about who you are, the story you tell the world about who you are, and how all these layers interact with one another. And then very, very, then at the end of the day, you just don't have the time to think about, well, who, what is it? Who is it that I, I'm, I am or I'm supposed to be? Um, I know that because we work in this space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, that obviously comes up more often for me, at least. Um, and it's something that I'm still griping with. It's just kind of like, I think I know who I am. But I, I've been someone else for so long that I need to go and touch bases with who mm. I think I'm supposed to be. If I'm, or, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it just it's, it's exhausting. Yes. I had a I had a I'm facilitating a white men's caucus this week session, and one of the white guys asked, you know, I don't even know how to ask people where you're from or what question like that to ask because I know it's probably going to not go well. And yet, there's this other part of. Uh, 
white male culture that says, I just treat everybody the same. I don't see color and don't even pretend it exists. So there's these two dichotomies between do I, you know, put you on the defensive given what you're just describing and you have to somehow question your worth again, approve or your proximity to whiteness, or do I not even mention it and pretend I don't even see that you might have an accent or you might have a different thread in your background. And that's like, you know, there's some other path there that I think would be probably more respectful or more engaging from other folks to connect with you and get to know you, I imagine. Mm. I think that's the crux of it, Michael, the getting to know you, Mm. right? So, so you don't necessarily have to pinpoint what I am in order to get to know me. Cause as Mauricio has mentioned, there's so many dimensions to what makes us who we are and what is important to us. And that being said, I always feel like if you want to start to ask me about my background, why don't you start with telling me yours? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing to add to your dichotomy in my experience is that a lot of people who are white from the United States, especially, have lost touch with who those original ancestors were, where they were from, what those cultural connections are. I, so many people say, I don't have a culture. I, I'm just white bread boring. What I mean, I can't tell you how many adjectives that are negative people use to describe themselves. Um, and But that's not true. We all have a culture. We all come from somewhere. And so uh, if you want to make connections with people who have a much closer tie to what that was because we're first generation or second generation, uh, then get to know you. Get to know where you come from, what that background is, and share that as a, as a door opening. And then maybe I'll share back with you some of mine because you have started by sharing yours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause when you feel like you're being interrogated, that's when it begins to feel like, Hmm, who wants to know? Right. Yeah. Because there have been times when there have been people who wanted to know for not good purposes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I'm to build on what you just said, Amalia. And uh, I, recently I was in a, in a session with a participant who shared, and he was from African, um, um, you know, ba- uh, heritage, and he said that one of the biggest struggles that he had with people trying to build relationship with him, just as you said, Mali, is that they feel that they could withdraw without making a deposit. Mm-hmm. That they, <laughs> that the because then that curiosity feels like he 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 made a. a felt like you like you were part of a zoo and somebody just coming to visit you and then moving away and then i mean imagine and then and that's true like i have experienced that whole sense of like exoticism is the one thing that like oh from colombia oh yeah i've heard shakira and uh the coffee's right you must know a lot a lot about coffee like <laughs> oh not really <laughs> so and but but that is the kind of exercise yes. that just feels like you're just an object of uh, interest. And then there is no real investment in a relationship there. But as you say, you know, show me, you know, identify yourself. Well, then why don't you start? Tell me all the things that I'm supposed to know about you before you feel uh, comfortable enough to talk to me like another human. Mm-hmm. Maria, thoughts as you hear all this? Yeah, wonder, um... You know, would you would you go to a white person and ask the same questions? That's just all I can think about. You know, talk to us as if we were just 
human beings. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we're asked these questions, or at least I know for myself, as somebody who's extremely white passing, um, I joke around and I say that I'm white adjacent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it feels almost like data collecting. Like you're just kind of making sure that you've got, um, you know, that you've checked off like the mental the mental points that you think you need to make with me and then you'll just move on. Um, back to that comment of that's really resonating with me of withdrawing without making a deposit. But it just... Right. A lot of times to me, these questions signal a level of, of unconscious bias, your inability to look past that and ask me yeah. a, a question about my character instead of just what is your immediate perception of me or wanting to challenge. Yeah. It's like um, surface, surface, like, yeah, yeah, I want to put you in a box. I want to lower all the uncertainty. Yeah. And, and what, what's it like if I do that to myself, which in some ways, you, Maya, you're talking about, we've forgotten about our history. We've forgotten about our culture as white folks. And so one, one of the questions I really have a f- strong feltness right now about, and you can react to the question too, in terms of maybe it's having a different impact than I intend, but one, I'm wondering what you celebrate, what you love, what you cherish most about who you are, as it ties into any of this thread about Latino, Hispanic culture. I know one thing I love about some cultures in the world, and I attach some of this to Latino cultures, more relational oriented, but I'm curious what you, what in your experience internally is uh, what you see as your um, most precious parts of that part of you. And it may be totally different for all of you. Yeah, I feel like um, I'm, I'm really I'm glad you asked this question, because as I'm listening to us talk, you know, it becomes really clear the level of confusion that this can bring up for people who are white and who are listening to this. It's like, OK, so you really um, you find that this part of you is very important, yet you don't want me to ask about it. Uh, or pointed out in any way, because then it feels like you're being singled out. So what do I do? So, you know, it just, it it reminds me of the conundrum that so many people um, we encounter with so many people when we do sessions is I just want to know what the right thing is to do because I don't want to make a mistake. And and so just tell me what it is. So do you care about it? And should I bring it up? Or do you not want me to bring it up? So I should pretend that I don't see it or notice it. Right. So, Um, And, you know, and the reality is that we're all going to make mistakes if we're taking risks in this arena. But um, but for me, there is a real sense of um, connection to where in the world my family comes from. Right. I have Cuban family. I have Ecuadorian family. They're distinctly different cultures. Um, We share broadly share a language, but there's so many nuanced differences. It's like saying, you know, speaking U.S. English versus speaking Scottish English. You know, there's there's a very big difference in the way that we speak. But I I love the fact that that mixed heritage of mine allows me to feel a part of when I am among Cubans and then also feel a part of when I am among Ecuadorians. And I feel like that has given me a gift in terms of my flexibility and adaptability in a lot of different places that I you know, am, that I find myself. Um, 
And so I really treasure that. I treasure the diversity. When you say Latino, the diversity that exists within that umbrella, the resilience, the history, um, the, I, the brilliance in so many ways of, you know, when I just the, the superficial artifacts of culture, when I listen to our music, when I eat our food, when I'm with, when I hear my language being spoken, all of those things um, just, you know, elevate all of those chemicals that make me feel good in the world, counteract all of those things that are stressors when you are sort of fighting against the current. So, so those are things that mean a lot to me. Having left the United States and moved to Central America has been an incredible balm to my spirit at this stage of my life. To be able to, even though I am not Panamanian, uh, I am enough uh, Latin American that, and Caribbean, because Panama is a Pacific and Caribbean country, but there's enough of that from my Cuban ancestry and my Cuban, my connection to my Cuban family that people here are like, you know, you're just like one of us. It's all good. Um, and so there's just a feeling of relaxing and relief. And I don't have to put on any, I don't have to watch myself. I don't have to monitor how I communicate or come across. I can just be um, and feel a sense of community and a sense of being embraced which has been lacking for a long time, except in those pockets of places where I have found my community and my connection. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, and I'm, I, I don't know if this is the direction in which you intended that question, Michael, but for me, something that has been particularly useful in this journey of building relationship across difference that I really appreciate about my culture is that it's messy and it's supposed to be messy and we embrace the messiness mm. it's loud it's chaotic and you just go with it and it means it's just that's the way life is you know it gets difficult sometimes it gets easy and at the end of the day we just still get to just come together and be loving and be um warm and and just feel that whatever hardship that we go through we go through it together um and 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 then we still are united at the end of it all which i think it's 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 for me it allows me to pivot easily it allows me to not um uh, take things personally as often as i could have um and so i'm in I mean, the end is just—it's just this warmth. It's like this, this, the embrace the messiness of humanity as yet one more general trait that we have to live with and get to love as a part of ourselves all along. Thank you. Wow, I love that too. And I can—I can actually feel a sense of sort of what I have just being Caucasian white and sort of what I have missing, you know, to whatever degree, we don't just purely go to that place of love or that allowance of messiness or sinking into that acceptance or the complexity of all this. So it's, it's giving me a chance of what's possible in your humanity of what, you know, some of what we give up in uh, white culture. Maria, you have any thoughts about that question? 
Hmm. You know, I think my answer is a little bit of a mix of both, um, Amalia and Mauricio. My identity as a Latina is also directly tied to my identity and my experience as an immigrant. Um, and it's hard for me to separate those two sometimes. So when I think about my life and, and things that have formed me and, and helped me understand who I am, you know, I think about how resilient the Latino community is, especially the immigrant community across all spectrums, right? All different, it's such a shared experience. Um, I think about the grittiness that comes with that. And what I love the most about Latino culture and about, you know, just even us three here on this call is our ability to wherever we go, in spite of having to be resilient and sometimes calloused and gritty, we still find a way to use our emotions as a tool to connect with each other and find community. You know, I sit here on this call and my heart is full. Just being able to see Mauricio and Amalia and you and hear your interest in wanting to hear our stories and our experiences. And I don't think that's an exclusively Latino experience, but that's been my experience with my community. And it's what I love the most. And it's what gives us a really special ability to connect, um, not just with each other, but I think with across a broad variety of dimensions of diversity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. I love hearing that too. Um, I just actually am speechless, loving hearing each of those three owning your gold in the threads that you're part of. What else do you want to share? Anything else you want to say to leaders or DEI practitioners about what we've talked about or that continued threat of Latino, Hispanic world? Even the terms, when to use Latino, when to use Hispanic, any thoughts, personal preferences on that? Um, mm, a whole lot to next thing. Yeah. I'm divided there too. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, on the one hand, Latin, Latin X, you know, we, we come from an, you know, for better or for worse, a gendered language. So mm -hmm. Latinx doesn't sound like anything that anybody that I grew up with would identify with. But I also understand that in a, again, a heterogeneous a society like this one with a you know, completely different degree of awareness of, you know, uh, gender identification and non-binary, uh, I mean, it makes perfect sense. So I, I try to regulate by imagining that how it would land on the person or the group that I'm speaking with. Um, and then I ask if that feels adequate and appropriate. But I think that's, I think that's it. I mean, you just ask. I don't see what we have to come in with the right term at any point nor should the right approach be ever be used because there's no such thing. Yeah. And I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. And the reality is that Hispanic refers to Spanish as a language, uh, Spain as the sort of conquering, colonizing uh, entity across most of Latin America. Um, and that um, if you look at Latin America, Spanish is not the only language spoken by a long shot. So if you're talking about people who are Hispanic, you are limiting uh, who you are speaking about if you're referring to Latin America. There's all kinds of indigenous mm -hmm. languages, Brazil speaks Portuguese. I mean, there's 
all kinds of, of a mix in that. So, so that's just know what each of the terms means. And that's a pretty easy Google. Um, and as Modi just says, ask, because people identify in different ways. Someone may say, you know what? I actually prefer that you refer to me as uh, Ecuadorian or Cuban or Mexican or whatever that is, than um, whatever this blanket term is. Or um, so, so be prepared that someone may uh, be put off a little bit by the question. Um, and just remember that a lot of times when we react in that way, it's because we have a history with people who look exactly like you, who have caused us harm with the same kind of question. And uh, it's not fair to you that we may react to you because of that. And that's just the way it is, right? That's that. Those are the traumas that we have to get beyond. So if you really are um, serious and genuine about making connection across difference, then build the stamina and the resilience and the, and the capacity to tolerate that discomfort and stick with it, right? To keep mm-hmm. coming back to the table and keep uh, offering openings for connection, regardless of whatever those first reactions that you might get and regardless of whether they make you feel bad. You know, ask the question, I, I think I might have offended you or upset you and I'm just wanting to check in with you and see if I can get some feedback or I'm really, I really, this means a lot to me and I want to make this connection. I want us to have a great working relationship. You know, don't be afraid because as Maria Mauricio have both said, we, that's part inherent part of our culture of origin is our ability to navigate the messiness of human interaction. The fact that we can fight with each other one day and embrace each other later that evening Um, that's just a day's worth of work for our families on any given day. So you have to just be genuine, right? You have to just be genuine and be willing and be resilient and have the stamina to stick with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Maria, want to add anything? You got more on my... The other thing I want to say is that um, in my experience, I don't know if it's the same for you, Mauricio, and for you, Maria, but for me, another big thing is I can talk trash about my family, but you cannot talk trash about my family. Mm. And this is, and I mean this sort of globally, culturally. Personal feeling. So, yeah. So that's important to keep in your back pocket to know. And I, and, and again, like Maria said earlier, this isn't just us as uh, Latin Americans or Latinx people or Hispanic people or however you want to label us. It's not just us. There are other cultures for whom it is the same. You know, my husband is African-American and I hear similar things from him all the time as well. But yeah, it's this whole idea of in-group and out-group. So um, if you if you overhear someone saying something, don't feel like that's an invitation to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just take right. it for what it's worth and keep it moving. But uh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe this is what maybe you keep it keep this or not, Michael. But Amalia mentioned the discomfort of that potential, you know, interaction about asking the question, and you know, mm-hmm. and and I always think that that is a you know to 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 sink into that discomfort is a huge opportunity for folks to remember the optability of that discomfort, which is not something that is afforded to us. 
you know, you can step in and step out. Yeah. We don't have that option. And oftentimes we live within that constant discomfort. So that is also something to remember um, as you're trying to build relationship with somebody from, from this background. Yeah. I, I noticed I've been doing this for whatever, 24 years in this company. And it's like, I'm even realizing this year, there's much more space than I thought to challenge my white male colleagues around stuff and want them to challenge me. And that, that does bring in discomfort. That does bring in edginess and dysregulation in my body. I felt more recently than I have in a long time. And it's like, and that's a privilege to me to even choose whether to do that or not, or even be aware that I could do it more. And it has impact on what your experience is in an organization that, you know, is owned by two white guys run by two other white guys. So more room for me in the treasure of just sitting in discomfort and stretching it myself. You know, Michael, I love that you say that because oftentimes I think we act like equity, diversity, inclusion, like all of these buzzwords is this like brand new skill, this like nuanced thing, right? That's never existed before. And that we all are like kind of scared of, you know, why can't we look at it like reading, like math? You know, why is this this like untouchable area of work and connection when in reality, you know, we're learning a new skill when we're learning to read. It's in those mistakes. It's in asking how to pronounce a word. It's in reading a paragraph and taking four hours. Right. It's in doing your pre-work and learning your phonics that you're able to really get to the point where you're literate. So why can't we all strive to look at this as a, a skill set, a fun new tool mm-hmm. that is inevitably going to lead to our enrichment and the betterment of our lives? You know, if I had to give white folks or insiders um, in any perspective a tip is like, come checking in, having checked in with yourself know your window of tolerance, know how much you can stretch yourself. So you can really make sure that your intent matches your impact. And when it doesn't, you're willing, able, and ready to take accountability and use it as an opportunity for growth. Just Mm -hmm. like you would when you mess up reading or when you mess up Mm -hmm. a math. You know, you take a test, you fail, you study some more and you take it again. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amalia, Maria, Mauricio, for for sharing in this last hour and for being part of this work together and collaborating. Um, I feel deeply appreciative. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. It's been great to be with you all. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFDP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.